Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 15 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. My guest today is a former two-time Ring of Honor World Television Champion, former co-holder of the World Tag Team Championship, and he was the Honor Rumble winner at G1 Supercard. He is the K-I-N-G King, Kenny King. Kenny, welcome to the show. K-I-N-G King! I was pretty good, Kevin. I wasn't, I wasn't great, but I was pretty good. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, okay, you said pretty good. I, I thought it was bordering on great. It was, it was pretty good. You know, All right. I mean, maybe I'll give you one before we get off. <laughs> Try to do you justice. Well, it, look, I have to admit, I think you have one of the catchiest theme songs in Ring of Honor. I'm not blowing smoke up your butt here. I think it's one of those things when I hear it in the arena, it kind of sticks with me because it is catchy. I, I put it right up there with Joe Hendry's entrance music, and that's about the highest praise I can give entrance music. Okay. Did you pick this yourself, or, or was it something that was given to you? Uh, well, we had gone through uh, a few different um, ideas, and I had a, an, an idea that I liked actually way better than that one, and a friend of mine had, had uh, made the beat, and I was thinking about even maybe writing some lyrics to it, um, and I, I pitched it to the office, and then the office kind of counterpitched the uh, just the, uh, the, the the theme that I have now. And I was like, eh, you know, I'm, I, I like it, it's okay, but I um, I don't necessarily like it better than, than you know, cause especially because I want to rhyme to this one. But then they sent me the, uh, you know, the Videotron to it. And then the Videotron with the, with the lights and the, the Vegas fountains, and it really just made it, it matches so perfectly. And then I kind of, I came around slowly. It definitely says star. I would say it's a star entrance. Would you agree? I agree, one hundred percent. It sounds like, like I, I when I first heard it, you know, I started coming around on it. It sounded like I'm entering the ring on like chariots, you know, with horses coming in. So it's regal. It's 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 it definitely has weight to it. And I'll just throw this out there: my favorite part of it. You don't do it every time, but I think you know, Kenny. I'm a big uh, Baltimore Ravens fan. I love when you do the Ray Lewis dance. I think he calls it the squirrel. Yeah, yeah. I love when you do that to the entrance. Yeah, man, it was it was something that I can remember watching him do. Uh, I think it was a Super Bowl against the Giants, and uh, man, and it was just something like that. Just like you know, I, I kind of pay homage to my favorite athletes, no matter what sport. So there's you know there's there's times where you'll see me throw a little Dion in there, and um, you know, a couple years back, I was just wondering like, man, how could I put uh, that into you know into my persona some kind of way and. I feel like right in the entrance. Like I said, I don't do it all the time. I do it every so often. Um, but it, it's something that, you know, I, I, I think Ray's a, a phenomenal athlete. And I think that that's one of the things that kind of made him a larger than life. Like whenever you see him, saw him hit that squirrel, you know, he was about to knock somebody's quarterback out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Dion, by the way, another, another former Baltimore Raven. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Toward the end, he sure was. That's right. So let me ask you the uh, standard question I always have to ask on this podcast, which is, what have you been doing uh, these few months? Well, it's, it's more than a few months now. Uh, what have you been doing since March during quarantine? Uh, well, uh, I get up. 
<laughs> right. You know, about two months ago, kind of all just, it just turned into Groundhog Day. And, uh, you know, every day is just kind of like, all right, was well, there something today that's going to break the monotony? Um, you know, like in the beginning, we, you know, we, we, the kids were still in school. So we were trying to get up with the kids and make sure they were doing their, you know, their work and make sure that they were getting to their, um, their video conferencing and, and then school was out. And then, uh, and then the kids went, uh, you know, they went away for the summer. And then it was literally just, okay, they jumped in the gyms, which was a good thing, but it was, it's nothing, right? There's nothing to do. I have to stay in shape. I have to kind of, you know, keep inter interacting with my fans. Um, you know, my lady has gotten me onto this TikTok thing, which I think is cool. You know, it, I, I really ran into it's kicking and screaming, but it's, uh, it's, it's really a, a cool way to make content. Um, and it's, it's, uh, and it's stuff that people, people already enjoy seeing you do stuff and they'll enjoy seeing you do that too. So just trying to find a way to stay engaged and, and stay in shape and, and just prepare for whenever this stuff, if things go back to the old normal, not the new normal. Right. So I've heard people say that during this quarantine, uh, it could go one way or the other as far as uh, staying in shape, that you're going to come out of it a hunk or chunk. <laughs> and uh, I got to tell you, man, I, I mean, you, you, you've seen me, Kenny. I, I've tried to keep myself in pretty good shape. But since this quarantine, man, I'm, I'm definitely heading in uh, chunk territory. How about, how about yourself? I, I, I would assume as an athlete, you're more towards the hunk. I'm always going to say hunk, no matter what. Of course. I'm always going to say hunk. Um, what are the gym's situation in Maryland? Are you guys open or closed? Well, I actually live in Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Um, and so, yeah, they're starting to open up again, but um, I don't know. I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't gone back in. I've been trying to do my DDP yoga uh, okay. in, in my house. But, I, I'm, again, I'm going to be honest with you. I, there are times when it's like in the middle of the day, it's like, okay, do the yoga, take a nap. And nap usually nap usually wins out. I'm 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 sorry to say. Naps are real appealing. They are real yeah. appealing. Um, <laughs> I think for me it's been uh, you know week to week. Some weeks I go chunk. Some weeks I go hunk. Uh, it was just my birthday last week, so I uh, I definitely feel like because of my lack of activity and my uh, I ate and drank pretty much everything I could see, uh, then I'll probably be chunking for the next week <laughs> or so, and then I'll get back to more of the hunk side. Well, you know, I think you have an advantage because you've been an athlete your whole life and uh, you got the athletic genetics and all that. Whereas me, I'm more of an athletic supporter. So <laughs> I've got one strike against me already, but that's neither here nor there. I, I want to talk to you about um, something you did recently, which was uh, the debut episode of a new uh, series that we were doing in Ring of Honor called the ROH Roundtable on YouTube. And the subject was the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, you were on there along with uh, Jay Lethal, Jonathan Gresham, Shane Taylor, Caprice Coleman, uh, hosted by Ian Riccoboni. And it was really, I thought, an important discussion. And um, I'm really, I think it's really cool that, that Ring of Honor gave you guys this platform to talk about such an important issue. For people who haven't seen it, or even people who have, what do you want them or what would you hope that they take away from it after watching it? Um, I, I always, I've done a few interviews um, since we've done the round, the, the round table and I, <clears throat> I give Ring of Honor a lot of credit and a lot of props um, because uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't something that they had to do and there was something that they wanted to do. 
um, the, the, the Ring of Honor office was the ones who, who kind of dreamed up this idea of, okay, what if we could do this and how would it work? And they kind of put us, you know, in, in a brain tank and we, and we, we ironed it out. So I got to give them their, their ultimate props because they could have just put out a, you know, a, 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 a statement uh, and, and, you know, just kind of sat down. Okay, we do. You know, we did our, our our socially accepted norm, right? Or socially accepted minimum. But they did it. They wanted they they, they wanted to for everybody to get the and and I like the idea that they 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 gave us the option of uh, either writing, you know, sending in something right, or they want or to actually do like a Zoom or a podcast like we did. And unanimously, you know, we all wanted to uh, be represented uh, by our own words and, and 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 say, you know, and and have it be in that format. So. Um, I think one of the things that was also important for it is that we asked questions. You know, we, we uh, Riccoboni and I think it was the ROH Twitter said, hey, if there's any questions, this is what we're doing. If you have any questions, we effectively turned it into, you know, ask a black dude, which is exactly what I wanted to do, right? I wanted to get a, a almost an anonymous um, stream of questions because, you know, people will, will, will have preconceived notions and, and, and concepts and, and, and stereotypes in their head, but they may not necessarily say it. So this, in an anonymous format, say what you want to say, ask what you want to ask. Uh, I feel like that was beneficial because for me, what I just wanted to, the, the ultimate goal for me was, you know, we, we just kind of been talking about the same thing for a really long time in this country, you know, and, and I feel like this time uh, we've made a little bit more of a turn than previously um, with, you know, socially uh, as a culture, American culture being ex accepting with, you know, Black Lives Matter as a concept. And, um, and I just felt like be, th those questions gave us an opportunity to, to you know, to, to answer things that people may not, you know, want to say and give you real answers. And, and so that you could, you can hear, you know, it can be, it can resonate with people and that that and i've already gotten you know messages from people that i know that aren't in the wrestling business that have heard it and said you know i didn't know this and and thank you for saying this thank you for being so candid because it's not something that i ever thought about so um you know that for me was my intention i want to uh come on kenny be a pro put that thing on vibrate <laughs> well it's uh yeah I, my bad um <laughs> Sorry about that, always uh, strong. Uh, I, just, I just wanted people to to hear the realness come from you know from people who they may 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 or may not have ever heard it from, and it, and it comes and it, the the collective was so it was so important to have the guys there because everybody's uh, experiences were same but different. So so that there's so many different ways to kind of see this, and you know a lot of people kind of think racism is one way, but racism is so nuanced that you kind of have to hear it. Uh, how silent it can be sometimes in order to hear how loud it is. That makes sense. Absolutely. And, and I do, again, highly recommend the show. I think it was, uh, yeah, it's a tough conversation to have, but I think it was done in a way that was um, constructive. And um, I think, you know, if, if, it, if it opened some people's eyes or provided some enlightenment or education in any way, I think it was uh, certainly a good thing. And I think it's certainly worth um, people's time. I wanted to ask one more question on the subject. And then I promise for anybody out there listening, who's like, okay, I just want to hear about wrestling. We will get to that. I just want to ask one more thing. I, I don't know if you heard it, but Cody's had a quote a while back, as you know, he's in a um, interracial marriage, Brandy Rhodes. And he said something like, um, 
you know, I always said I don't see color. And that's something that resonated with me because I've said that same thing and I've tried to instill that in my kids. But then Brandy had an interesting response, which was, no, I want you to see color because if you don't, you can't understand my experience. Mm -hmm. um, and I just wanted to get your, I thought that was really, again, that was one of those eye-opening moments where it gets you to think about something from a different perspective. So what, what are your thoughts on that, um, that, whole, that quote and then Brandy's reaction? Uh, well, I, I can remember when he said it, you know, um, and, uh, and, I, and I sent him a message like, man, I'm so, like, thank you for saying that because that's, <clears throat> that's such an important nuance of what we're talking about, right? Like the, the whole idea of, of being colorblind is, is a wonderful idea. It's a good, you know, the idea, I don't see color, everybody's the same. That is rooted in goodness. It's rooted in fairness, wanting to see, you know, treat people fairly. But uh, it, it, exactly, it robs you of actually seeing um, because everybody is, everybody's the same, but everybody's different. And culturally, we, we add things to each other and we bring things to each other um, that we wouldn't be able to acknowledge if we just said, oh, everybody, I don't see color, I don't see, everybody's the same. So um, when, when, when people say that, it, it, it's, it kind of became a, a way of them not having to acknowledge the fact that there are cultural differences in the way that we're treated also. You know, it became a way of saying, well, I don't, I don't know anything about that because I'm some kind of way. But just because you're some kind of way doesn't mean that everybody else is. And, and, and when everybody realizes it, then everybody can kind of be on board with changing it. So that concept is, is, is critical um, to just the changing mindsets. You, it, it's okay to, to, to accept that. It's okay to be white. It's okay to be black. It's okay to be everything, right? Um, because everybody's experience is different. Everybody's experience is valid. So, so that's why it's okay to see everybody for exactly who they are. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. It's like, you know, I can never walk a mile in your shoes. You can't walk a mile in my shoes. We have, we, we have different experiences, but we can recognize the differences in each other and, and try to understand each other. And um, yeah, I think, again, that's one of those things, like I used to say, I'm, I'm colorblind, but it, yeah, it's, it's well-intentioned, as you said. Um, but I think there is a, it's almost overly simplistic. And I think if we look deeper we can all understand each other better. So, so I want to ask you about another YouTube show that you were involved in recently, and that's my first ROH match. And yours was against some guy, I'm trying to think of his name, Brian Danielson, I think was his name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he used to be really big, and I, I don't know what happened to him. Yeah, me neither. Um, anyway, this was back in 2008, and uh, you had had a handful of matches in ROH prior to that, but technically this was your first match as a contracted performer in ring of honor right. uh, spoiler alert this match almost went to a 15 minute draw and brian i think tapped you out with like 10 seconds before the time limit expired which I, I didn't remember watching this match and it got me as i was watching it like for the first time once we got to pass the 14 minute mark and they started doing the countdown i thought for sure it was going to be a time limit draw i thought that was a clever finish having him beat you kind of at the last, uh, last few seconds there. Uh, I want to ask you, though, when you first learned at, at the time that your, your, first your first match as a contracted performer was going to be against Brian, were you, was your reaction like, oh, great, uh, this, is, you know, this is awesome. I'm, I'm in there with one of the best in the world. This is going to be great for me. Or did you feel pressure because you were in there with one of the best in the world, and if you didn't have a great match with him, uh, that wasn't going to be good for you. 
Um, and a, a third of that, I'll, I'll, you, you can add terror in there, right? <laughs> because, um, you know, up to that point, I'd been working uh, at FIP mostly down in Florida. And at that point, FIP was like a sister company, like a feeder company to Ring of Honor. Um, right. So uh, I can remember having a, a, a match with Tyler Black, um, which ended up being a really good match. I think he was really good too. And I can't remember what he's doing now either, but, um, uh, but after that, I think Gabe said, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm ready to sign you. I'm going to give you a contract. Cause I'd had a couple matches and I think two or three matches as a tag team uh, before, but I'd never had a singles featured match in ROH yet. So after that match with Tyler, uh, Gabe Sapolsky was like, okay, I'm ready to sign you. You know, we're going to bring you in, blah, 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 blah. So I think that I'm, I'm going to come in and get, um, you know, maybe a, a feature match in a scramble or, you know, I'm going to get a, you know, a low card match where I can come in and kind of, you know, maybe achieve a, a squash match or whatever. And I can remember this was one of my very first times being flown out um, when I was in Cleveland. That very first time being flown out and, you know, as a young wrestler, I'm kind of, feeling myself like, man, okay. Um, and I don't think it was until I got, it was until I got to the building or the hotel the, the night before that I learned that I was wrestling Brian. Uh, and then it was, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and, and, and Gabe, I, I remember specifically what, uh, what Gabe said. He was like, you know, welcome to Ring of Honor. You're in the Shark Tank now. And that was uh, for me, um, it was, it, it gave me a boost of confidence too, though, because I know Gabe and I know how highly Gabe regarded Brian and I know how highly regard Brian was regarded in the world in general at that point. So, uh, it, 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 all of those things, right. Terror, confidence, cockiness, um, because man, this is Brian Danielson and this is the best in the world. So one, if I don't go out there and show out with Brian Danielson, I'm pretty much going to be done. Not only with the fans, but I know Gabe will put me in, you know, I'll never get another singles match again. Um, and two, like, if I can't have a good match with Brian Danielson, what am I doing here? <laughs> so, um, and, and so that it just became for me, um, you know, what, what is it? I just became laser focused. You know, my nerves kind of settled uh, once I, because I'd known Brian for a little while at that point. Um, Brian, I think was, I just moved to Vegas. So I had known Brian, you know, we'd hung out, we even worked out together like once or twice. So Brian made it real easy uh, because, you know, he is literally one of the best in the world. And, um, and that match is one, you know, I'm, I'm real proud of because uh, to go to, in my first match to go the distance with Brian Danielson, that just had to show that Gabe had a lot of, you know, just had a lot of confidence in me. Absolutely. I, I, watching it back after so many years, um, I would think you had to be pleased with it because it, it came off. I mean, yeah, you know, like we said, you're in there with one of the best in the world. So of course that's going to help uh, the guy you're working with, but you more than held your own. And, and I think, again, when you look back on it, were you pleased with it or were, were you critical? Like, well, I wish I could have done this differently or now I would do this. You know, I know more now because I'm a seasoned vet or like, what were your, what, your overall impression watching it with fresh eyes, so to speak? Uh, going back and watch, I probably haven't seen it in about maybe 10 years or so. I've, I've, I can remember watching it. Uh, maybe, well, yeah, maybe when I first moved to Vegas, I moved on my ROA stuff and I'm going through all these DVDs and whatnot. I ended up uh, watching that match. And uh, I was a lot more forgiving then than I was this time around. Um, uh, you know, this time I can see, you know, glaring mistakes, things that I definitely would, would coach my students to do differently. 
Um, but then I also see that for where I was at, man, I, I, I can see why I was put in that spot because, um, you know, we went step for step and it was, but just now, you know, me being a veteran in the game and me seeing a lot of things, uh, even in my performances now that I have to watch, I watch back and go, ah, I wish I didn't do that. Uh, you know, and I know better now back then I didn't know better. So, um, for me, there, I, I could definitely, I'm on my own worst critic, so I could have seen 10 different things that I, I could have done better. But for the time, for who I was at the time, I, I definitely think I earned my spot. For sure. You mentioned Tyler Black earlier. Um, and we, like, we wondered, like, what happened to that guy? I think there's a guy that looks a lot like him recently who um, he has this thing for, like, going after guys' eyes. And I know that you have had problems with your vision in the past. So, man, that's a match you probably wouldn't want to have today. Well, you know, that's funny. That guy, he does look a lot like Tyler. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I don't, I don't think so. I, Tyler Black was a tough opponent. And if, if that guy's anything like him, uh, I'll stay away. He, from what I hear, he, he crippled Rey Mysterio. So yeah. I, I, you know. it's, a, it's a horror show, I've, I've been told. <laughs> so I hear, right? The internet said that. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break here. When we get back, obviously, we're going to talk a lot more wrestling and maybe a few other things as well. Uh, so stick around. We'll be right back with more with Kenny King. Welcome, Ring of Honor fans. It is our distinct pleasure to bring to you not only 18 years of great professional wrestling, the best professional wrestling on the planet, but tonight, a very important topic. It is the first of many ROH roundtables. And tonight, we're going to be discussing Black Lives Matter, police brutality, and what it means to be black in professional wrestling, race and racism in the sport that we love. ROH Roundtable, now available on youtube.com slash ring of honor. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest today is Kenny King. Kenny, before we get into more wrestling talk, I just have to ask you a couple things off topic. Uh, first off, acting. I know that you had some acting experience as a child. You did some Nickelodeon shows. Was that just kind of a, a side thing or is that something you really wanted to pursue? And how did you, how did you get into it? Um, it, it was, it was kind of just, you know, one of those things that I got into as a kid, like, you know, I, I played football, but when, you know, there was no football or baseball, uh, you know, there was this guy that uh, was an acting coach that would do, seasonal classes so it would just kind of be in between when I wasn't doing like Pop Warner or whatnot and then he would do showcases and then have uh, some agents from some of the you know you know some places in Orlando um they would come in and to the showcase and you know they'd say oh, okay well, see if there's any talent so initially I just kind of got into it just something to do but um I got picked up by one of the agencies in Orlando called Jesus forever to go called Hurt and Garver and uh, f from that point on, all I really did was work for Universal or Disney. Um, I mean, I worked in Nickelodeon. I worked at Di uh, for I did a bunch of this stuff for Disney. And uh, so, so it became kind of part of like, okay, I, I really like this. I want to do this. Uh, but football was always my first love. And uh, there was a period of time where I was shooting so much stuff that um, I couldn't. Uh, if, if it was basically like I was not keeping up with school. So uh, my parents were like, listen, you can't keep up school. You're not playing football and you're not, uh, and you're not going to be doing this so much either. So my parents, you know, kind of backed off of, off of the, uh, the, the acting workload and I went back to school uh, and football really became my first love and that took over and that took over into wrestling. So 
Uh, it never it never subsided. I still kind of love acting, and, I'm, and I've been looking at different ways to kind of make that, uh, to kind of bridge that gap, kind of create my own rock, a uh, little lane. And, um, but you know, that, that was always the coolest thing, right? I was, I was always trying to be the coolest kid on my block because I, you know, I was on Legends of Temple, I was on Guts, and uh, you know, nobody was really messing with me. I'm on Nickelodeon, boy, what, what, what do you got? You got some Jordans? Okay, so what? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Yeah, you got some bragging rights there. That's um, that's for sure. Let me ask you another question, again, off topic of wrestling. And that's obviously, uh, I want to ask you about The Bachelorette. Is that something that you um, had to audition for? Uh, what was the competition like? If you, I mean, how many people auditioned for that if you did audition? And uh, just what was that whole whole process like? So I, uh, I am, where was I? I was home, I think. And I get a phone call from a, a, a random 310 number. And uh, I know that that's LA. And I know random 310 numbers usually can bring uh, opportunities because uh, they have for me in the past. So I was answering answer random 310 numbers. But so I answered 310 number and uh, the guy says to me, is this Kenny? And said, yeah, he says, well, would you ever be uh, interested in The Bachelor, being on The Bachelor, The Bachelorette? So now I think it's one of the boys trying to rid me, right? So my first, an- my first answer, because one, I don't really think this is serious. And two, uh, <laughs> this is kind of the truth. I was like, uh, you know, I'm black, right? <laughs> and then there was a small pause. And then I laughed. And then the person on the other end laughed. But it was like, yeah, that's kind of what we're calling. Uh, so, I, so then it was a real thing. So, um, you know, we talked about what they needed from me. And, and still, I'm like, the bachelorette? Like, yeah, right. Um, and so it wasn't necessarily like an audition process. I had, I sent in some pictures and, you know, fill out a questionnaire and then I had to come in LA to kind of, uh, meet with some of the producers to see if I was, how psycho I was, I guess that's the, uh, the, the, the determination process. But, um, you know, it was still one of those things that even up until the point where uh, they called me and told me they wanted to do it. I still wasn't really thinking that I, it was going to happen. I, I called my mom and, and was like, hey, mom, have you ever watched The Bachelorette? And she was like, no. <laughs> I said, okay, well, I got some homework for you. I need you to watch four or five episodes to see if I should do it. Uh, and she's just like, uh, okay. So maybe about a day or so later, she's like, you want to do this show? Why do you, <laughs> you have no idea what you're getting yourself into? And, and I didn't. Um, but because I really thought it was going to be like tough enough. Honestly, I thought it was going to be more, uh, but I guess tough enough. It, it, it wasn't, but it wasn't, but that was my only um, frame of reference for like reality TV competitions was, was tough enough. And, uh, and, it, and it wasn't, it was different. It was one of those things where I don't know how many people auditioned, but if you, you know, they say between 25 to 30,000 people, you know, send in their, their videos every, you know, every year. And they cut that 25,000, 30,000 people to the 30 people that are in the house. So, um, and I was, ended up guessing. So I guess from 25 to 30,000 to, to nine, I was number nine. I was the ninth last guy eliminated. So I guess I did pretty well. But it was a, it was a great experience, man. Uh, the, the whole idea of it is uh, it's not unlike professional wrestling where it's, um, it's definitely not scripted. People always ask me, is it, you know, is it fake? Is it scripted? It's not scripted, but the, the, the magic happens in casting. Uh, these people, I think at this point, it's a social experiment and they know uh, exactly who to, who to cast. 
uh, who's going to be the peacemakers, who's going to be the fireballs, who's going to create drama, who's not. Uh, and, and they kind of just, it's like an ant farm. They put all these pieces in and then when, you know, we're the, the, the people that get to watch the ant farm. But overall, I think it was a great experience. Uh, I met, you know, some people that I'll be friends with and, and you know, be in their lives forever. And, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of kind of made me a part of the American lexicon because I didn't have any idea that, how big and how uh, deeply rooted in uh, the U.S. psyche the bachelor is. And it's pretty, it's pretty well in there. So you actually weren't eliminated, right? You, you bowed out of the competition willingly uh, because you wanted to spend more time with your daughter, right? Is that how it went? I mean, more or less, right? Like it was, it was a situation where I was, um, wasn't sure where it was going. And uh, I just, you know, and she kind of felt like, uh, you know, at that point I was missing my daughter. I knew I was there for a reason and it was fine, but uh, I wasn't sure, you know, I just wasn't sure if, 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 if because you are really, you know, you, you, you interact with this person and you are trying to forge a relationship and you get to know each other and you are trying to see where, you know, is this relationship that can be sustained. Um, but, you know, I'm also, you know, I, I'm the only person with, uh, at that point, she was 10, a 10 year old kid. So everybody else is just thinking about themselves. And I'm like, okay, am I here? Am I really doing the right thing? So, you know, we kind of mutually um, agree. I mean, I've been told that it's the, the, the sweetest breakup in the bachelor history. Like it was one of those things where you had two people that respected each other, but just realized that um, it wasn't, it just wasn't feasible. It wasn't the right time for either of us. So that, you know, and, and you know, my daughter was a big part of that. So you mentioned tough enough and I, and I did want to get to that as well. My question is, had you had any pro wrestling experience prior to tough enough? I know there's some contestants in, in years past where they had some indie experience was tough enough. Your first actual pro wrestling experience. Yes. It was my first time ever in a wrestling ring. Uh, it was my yeah, it was my first time doing anything in pro wrestling. I was a football player that literally walked off the field into the wrestling ring. And I'm guessing you you had been a fan of the business before that, correct? Forever, yeah. WrestleMania three, I think, was my the first one I can remember watching. Uh, the first match that I, that I can ever remember watching that I watched probably about a thousand times at that time was Demolition versus Strike Force, and uh, and I was hooked. I've been hooked ever since. Wow, Strike Force, the most. Right. The most vanilla baby face, baby face team of all time. The Rick most Martel and Tito Santana, right? Neither of those guys were vanilla baby faces, right? Tito Santana, Rick Martel, they, 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 didn't, they weren't vanilla baby faces, but... But together, I think they were. Yeah, true. Right. Remember their song, Girls in Cars or something like that? No, I don't remember that. From the wrestling <laughs> album. Yeah, it was like, I don't know, Riding in, girl, riding in Cars with Girls. I, I don't know, something like that. But uh, yeah, that was... Um, that would, <laughs> yeah, Rick Martel and Tito Santana with the white tights and everything. I think with that, the I think white tights and the red lightning bolt strike force. That's right. That's right. Um, okay. Well, let's move on from, from strike force. Let's go back again to tough enough. You have, you make it down to the final four. This is season two. Uh, there's two men, two women. Uh, you're among those final four. And I think the assumption was because the previous year there was one female winner, one male winner. So I think there was an assumption that that's what's going to happen again, but there was a curveball, and two women were voted as the winners, Jackie Gata and Linda Miles. How surprised slash pissed off were you that no men were chosen? And, and how confident were you that you were going to be one of the winners? 
Well, you know, I think I think going back and all the times I've thought about it from now, from then till now, uh, you know, the, the, it was it was the biggest okie doke because uh, the assumption was there was going to be two, one man, one woman. But if you go back and watch that tough enough, they never say that one time. They always say words, two winners. We're going to pick two champions. There's going to be two winners. So I feel like they were very deliberate uh, in that wording from the beginning. So I, I, and, and I have, you know, I have it on a good uh, authority from, uh, from a VP that, you know, it was always going to be two girls winning. So, um, so there was that. So, so we, we went into this, with this competition with the full, you know, I mean, I'm thinking, okay, it's all I have to do is be, is be the best guy here. And I'm, and I got, you know, 50% locked down. Right. So that, and that's how even I can remember when, when the four of us um, went back to, cause we filmed the show and then they did the actually the finale live. And then they brought the four of us up to Stanford for like a week or so, a week and a half to like keep training and kind of make our, get, get ourselves sharp again. And, uh, and then we stayed up there for the finale. And I can remember even some of us bouncing that off each other. Dude, what if they swerved up and did this and did that? But general consensus was, nah, they've been really, I'm pretty sure it's gonna be one man, one woman. So uh, in the moment, uh, <laughs> I don't know. In the moment, it was like, because I, I, I'll never forget this. My dad was never the biggest wrestling fan. Uh, he used to tell me that, you know, if I wanted to be a pro safety, that I should spend my Monday nights watching Monday night football instead of that garbage wrestling and, and all this stuff. So he's never been the biggest wrestling fan. And, and I can remember us sitting there in, uh, in track, WWE New York. And uh, right after they, they played my final match, because we all had to do like our final exams. We all had matches with our trainers. And I had one with Chavo. And after my final match, my dad, who never did this before, leaned over to me and said, holy shit, I think he won. And this is what I've been telling him the whole time. Like I, there was a period of time where uh, I progressed so far ahead of, of everybody in the wrestling that I, I was just picking it up and, I, and people, and I was having, and I was low key, not really because I didn't know what I was doing, but I was low key helping coaching. So there was a period of time, you know, once we got down to like, seven or eight that I was like, man, I got this in the bag. I, I absolutely have this. And, uh, and after that match, especially watching all four of those matches uh, and then seeing who won, um, it was definitely like getting the, 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 it was a gut punch for sure. Like you, I've gone back and, and, and watched my reaction. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I say quite a few things uh, in that, three or four seconds before I realized there's a camera in my face. Um, but, you know, uh, it's, it, it was a hard thing um, in the moment. It sucked big time because I'd really, because at the, at the same time, I'd also given up my football career for this. I, I came here to UNLV to play football. And, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know, after I got done feeling tough enough, you know, I was supposed to come back here to play football. And, I thought that I'd won. So I really was like, ah, should I go back to spring, spring practice? What if I get hurt and I got this contract on the way? So I forfeited going back to play ball uh, for, for wrestling. And then I caught this serious sideways L. <laughs> so it, it took me a minute to kind of, um, you know, to kind of not necessarily recover from it because I went kind of right back to work at wrestling, but just to kind of to shake that off because I'd see them on TV and I would, I would, I would scream right afterward it took me a while before i i could watch monday night raw and not be right 
Well, I mean, look, no, um, no offense to Jackie and, and Linda, but, you know, they had a cup of coffee uh, in WWE. They really didn't stick around uh, very long. Um, the other guy that was on in the final four with you, I, I couldn't even tell you his name. I don't know if he did anything in the business. So in retrospect, I think Jake, he did, and he never did anything else. He, he okay. In retrospect, do you think not winning was better for your career than winning? Because with a couple notable exceptions, John Morrison's the first guy that comes to mind. Tough enough winners really haven't fared that well. And um, it seems like the, the people who were on it who didn't win um, ended up having, you know, some of them having, you know, pretty darn good careers. You would have been on a whole different career path. Who's to say um, what would have happened had you won that contract? I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I've, and I've come to that conclusion myself that um, the, the best thing that could have happened in my wrestling career was losing tough enough because they would have absolutely did what they did to, to, did to me, what they did to everybody else, which was throwing them out there before they were ready. Yep. And uh, you, when, once you, you know, you only get one chance and this is what I didn't understand, but I know this is, this is something that Al never had, you know, he didn't have any say in, but he used to tell us this in, in, uh, in training, you know, especially no matter what you go on and however you use this, realize that you never get it. And this is an old cliche, but you never get a first, another chance to make a first impression. So your first move got to be your best move, especially when it comes to, you know, the wrestling game. So they, in so many ways, in so many times, they crippled and, and handcuffed, uh, you know, some of their young talent, especially like a guy, you know, like Jackie and Linda, they put them in marquee matches and they had no business being in some of these matches. Um, and so you, you never really recover um, from, from, from being seen in that light. So I was determined not to be, you know, the, the, the tough enough fluke, um, the guy who was on tough enough, who, who, who wasn't really good, who, who didn't uh, pay attention to his crap. So after tough enough, I, I started training and I, I trained for a whole year before I took an indie date. Um, as I watched and listened, you know, on the internet to guys that were on Tough Enough, you know, uh, same as me and after me, crash and burn and fail miserably at indie shows. And, and I was like, man, I'm never going to be that because you'll never, you never come back. And so I'm glad that I took the route that I, that I did because it, it built me, it built me differently and it, and it made me, uh, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to, to wrestle Brian Danielson in 2008 if I was wrestling, uh, if I, you know, if I'd have been, if I'd have won Tough Enough. Right. You had mentioned um, after Shad Gaspard's obviously tragic uh, death uh, back in May, you wrote a blog for um, ROHWrestling.com where you talked about meeting him uh, at Tough Enough. He was at the same tryout or audition um, that you were at for, for season two. Can you just talk a little bit about that meeting, uh, you know, running into Shad and, and uh, did you guys become friends after that? Yeah, man. Uh, Shad is, if you know Shad, Shad is, he's just an, well, he was, rest in peace. He was an infectious personality. And um, uh, it, it was one of those things where it's like, I thought I was getting there early. It was like five o'clock in the morning. And, um, you know, you could see when I parked in the Caesars, you could see the people. Like there was, there was already people in, in their, in their, gym bags and whatnot, it was a mob of people going, because I think call time wasn't until six, so being here an hour early did me no good. Um, and 
uh, I think, you know, we're just standing in line, standing in line. And then, you know, behind me, you just, you, I'm just hearing this boy. Hey, oh, you don't see it, son? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And uh, he's talking to some people. And, I, and I, you know, being from New York, anytime somebody's like, oh, you don't see it, son? I'm like, okay, who's from New York? Where they at? And, um, and I kind of looked at him and he looked at me. And, uh, and he's like, sup, son, I'm Beast. And like, I just never forget that. Like, just how, <laughs> your name is Beast? Like, yo, what is wrong with this dude? Like, he, he but, but that's, He's, uh, you know, Shad, that was Shad, right? Shad is outgoing, um, friendly, uh, you know, he, he almost didn't really, he, he, in the same time that he realized very much, he was very aware that he was six foot seven, 300 pounds, he, he wasn't, you know, a lot of times he thought he was, he was, he was just regular people's size, you know, so, so he didn't realize how sometimes he could be intimidating until he opened his mouth, until he smiled at you, and it's just, man, he's, uh, it, it, it was crazy that, you know, we, we became friends. That was the first day and then we became friends. And then, you know, we went into the second day, we both got called back and, you know, like, oh, I know you was going to do a Brooklyn. He was telling me, I know you was going to do a Queens. And then, you know, we, um, we made it, you know, we did the, the run and then we made it. We were part of the 13. And then imagine my surprise when we get to the house and I'm looking around, oh, there's no shad. I'm like, oh man. And, you know, years, a few years after, I can't remember where we linked back up. Um, might have been at a WWE tryout, but we linked back up a few years after that, and we ended up talking about what happened. Um, oh, you know what? That's not even true. He came to the um, he came to WWE New York. He came to the the Tough Enough finale, and that's where we linked back up. And uh, he kind of told me what happened, how you know how he didn't how he didn't pass and whatnot, and, and we and we you know from there we we always remained in contact. Okay. Uh, yeah, and as I said, what a. Uh... A tragic death. Shad was 39. For those who don't know, I'm sure most people do. He he drowned while saving his young son, preventing him from drowning. Um, such a sad story, but I guess probably says a lot about who Shad was. Um, you know, I think you you had a quote. I I believe it was you that, you know, he he was a beast in life and and um, also a beast in death. I mean, he went out a hero um, in his in his tragic passing. That, that was him, man. That uh, <clears throat> his son was his his was his entire everything. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, our, our care, all of us love our kids, and, you know, and and Shad is just a was just such a a shining example of of, of fatherhood, and uh, you know that's and and we were all very proud of him for living that way. You know what I mean? And and, and even prouder of him because that's how he died. He died to save his son, and that's there's not too many better ways. I mean, I don't know if, you, if there's a good way to go out, but if you, yeah, there's not too many more ways, um, that better ways you can go out But that, but that right there exemplified Shad Gaspard giving his life for his son. I want to ask you one more tough enough question. And that is, was there a, uh, a stigma at all being a quote unquote tough enough guy, uh, who had been on TV already trying to make it on the indie circuit? Yes, 100%. Uh, that, that, and that's, that's a stigma that I tried to fight forever because that's why I wanted to train for a year before I took an indie book. And that's why I wanted to at least have a good, you know, idea of what the hell I was doing. Because everybody just expects you to just, you know, oh, this guy, you know, he was trained on TV. You know, I, I, I got called a 12-week superstar uh, more times than I can remember, you know, because... Uh, they just see okay what and, and 
to be fair, right, that's, that's almost – I can understand why, being, being a veteran in the wrestling game, and understand that a lot of guys, you know, paid thousands of dollars to get brutalized in some dude's hot gym for, for six months and, uh, and, and never got any <laughs> – one lick of television coverage and, and had to sit up and tear down rings. And, yeah, and, and I got a lot of that. I didn't get it at first. But I started to understand the more I, I, I respected and, and, and treated and, uh, and respected the craft and treated this like it was an actual art. I got it. And, and I think that because I did that and because I, I, I had the respect for it and I came in prepared and, and I came in, you know, as a pro wrestler, I think that, that that's why that subsided because people saw me as, okay, this dude's a wrestler. He's not just a guy, you know, on TV that's trying to, that's trying to pretend like he, he, he really wants to do this. So. Uh, it, it, it took a while, but but I feel like that's, you know, that's all part of my journey, too. That's that's something that I want to learn had I won tough enough. I had to go through there and kind of, and, and, and prove myself. You know, I'm not just some dude that they that was on MTV. I can come out here and I can rush circles around you. And I, and I had to do that a whole lot of times. One of the matches you had on the indies uh, about, I guess, maybe a year or so after Tough Enough was in California. I'm sure you know what I'm going to ask you about. It was against The Miz. Mm -hmm. And I think it was billed as like a battle of the reality TV stars or something like that. I just want to ask you, what are your memories of that match and your impressions of Miz at that time? Uh, that was actually a three. So that was like, no, I can't. So that was a three, a three shot weekend that we had did with over three different promotions. And so the first one was first night was somewhere in Arizona and we'd kind of done, you know, the, the, the setup for it. You know, I think he'd done a cut and promo or I was cutting a promo and he busted me and I busted him and we set it up and then we'd wrestle the night after in Phoenix. And then like, we'd, uh, and then the big, the big, big setup, I think went, went to, I think it was probably like a no contest or something. And the big setup was for UPW. So uh, I'd gotten a chance to kind of hang out with Mike for a couple of days um, and kind of get to know him and, you know, and he, and he was a really cool guy, man. He was, he, he was, I remember watching him on, on the real world, you know, and he was, uh, he was just a guy that loved wrestling. Like the Miz, his whole character was just a dude. He was just a mark that, you know, the Miz is the mark, right? So the Miz is just a guy who's, who just loves wrestling and loves, who just, you know, he's the biggest fan. And then he took it to the, like, the, the max of, well, I love this so much. I want to do it. And, and the amount of, um, you know, you could see early that the amount of, of, of care and the amount of and intensity and uh, that he puts into it was, was there early on. You know, we, we both of us, neither of us were very good uh, wrestling wise, but you could tell that we both were, were all in on doing this and trying to make this our career. And, I, you know, I see Mike every so often um, and, you know, we, we, we sit and talk and I got nothing but respect for Mike. Um, for his career because he's been able to turn his stigma of a reality, you know, TV show superstar and turn that into being WWE champion. So, you know, shout out to Mike the Miz. Absolutely. Well, like we said earlier, I mean, sometimes not winning is, uh, could be the best thing. I think things turned out pretty well for him and, and they've turned out pretty well for you. Absolutely. Neither of us have done yet. So 
Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to talk more about your uh, Ring of Honor career. Take another quick break. We'll be back with Kenny King right after this. Hi, I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Monday, the same day as this podcast, as we catch up on all the groundbreaking ROH news and get some exclusive comments from some of your favorite stars. We also have some really great weekly segments like Question of the Week and my personal favorite, the Week by Week Physique. Join me every Monday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash ring of honor for week by week. We're back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Kenny King. Uh, Kenny, I want to talk about uh, your ROH career now. Uh, Your rise to stardom, I would say, really began in 2009 when you started teaming with Rhett Titus. That's when the All Night Express was born. Was there instant chemistry between the two of you? Uh, were you guys friends before becoming partners? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's an emphatic no. no. That's a resounding no. There was actually beef, and Red Titus would tell this story. Red Titus actually will never miss an opportunity to tell this story. So <laughs> uh, my second ROH match ever, I think, uh, it was in Chicago. This was actually, so, so for frame of reference, this was ROH Man Up. So this is the, the, the show where Jimmy Jacobs hung uh, Jay Briscoe upside down bleeding uh, yeah. and, he was, and he was bled all over Jimmy Jacobs. He was in a white thing. It was like one of the craziest, most memorable wrestling moments uh, that I think I've ever seen. That's so that, you know, that's, that's, that's this insane show. So uh, before this show, uh, I think Rhett was warming up or doing something, doing some push-ups, And I didn't know Rhett. I, I, I just seen Rhett setting up the ring before you know what i mean i thought he was just either like a green boy or somebody that was just getting into getting started with with training i didn't know that he'd already been trained by aries and he was you know he was one of the top prospects and all that stuff so he's doing push-ups and i think i said something to the uh rhett, rhett was or gabe was really like oh okay rhett you're getting pumped up you're getting pumped up and i don't know why i said it you know what i mean i think i was just a cocky ass and i'm just trying to get myself over but i guess i said gabe i was like oh well you know that's cool if you got to do push-ups to get warm to to look big before your match <laughs> <laughs> so uh you know clearly that didn't sit well with Rhett, and so so he'll tell the story as so later on that night in my match um there was a period where i missed springboard and uh so i was really big at FIP that point. And uh, the Ring of Honor crowd, I think this is the only time this has ever happened. They started, after I missed the springboard, uh, there was the only chance they started chanting FIP at me. And it wasn't like FIP's great. It was like, go back to FIP. Right. <laughs> so, so Rhett, Rinks is sitting ringside and he always tells the stories like as soon as he tripped, I jumped up like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> so that's the history um, between, you know, me and Rhett. So, uh, Adam Pierce was uh, in charge at the time, and I think it was uh, because I was set up to actually team with Kenny Omega, uh, and, and I thought that that would have been a much better, it was like, oh, okay, that's a pretty good team, teaming, um, but uh, when something happened, and it was me, actually me, Kenny Omega versus the Briscoes, and I walked out on Kenny Omega, and then that was supposed to be the, the, the pairing of me and Red Titus, but this was when Red Titus was doing bow ties, and, uh, you know, he was, he was doing Addicted to Love, and T- Pierce said this, and I was like, you want me to team up with this guy, and I, I swear Red almost said, said the exact same, you want me to team up with this guy, so we, we were definitely two guys looking at each other like, man, if I got to team up with somebody, can it be better than this, 
And, um, you know, over the, t over the course of time, uh, there was just a, a timing in the ring that existed with me and Rhett uh, that was hard to ignore. And the more we started hanging out, there was a chemistry uh, that we built outside the ring that started showing up in the ring. And Adam Pierce noticed it, and you know, the powers that be started noticing it. Um, and I think that's when they put us with Aries. And then, you know, just it's just one of those things that like once we turned it on, uh, you know, the, we we just kept getting better every single time. But no, the All Night Express was not born of uh, a mutual friendship or respect, I think. <laughs> So, but the, the, the tag team talent, though, at the time, I mean, looking over the list of tag teams that you guys faced, obviously the Briscoes, uh, Kevin Steen and El Generico, the Young Bucks, Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly, Benjamin and Haas, the American Wolves, Kings of Wrestling. I mean, this is just in, an insane level of talent that you guys are working with. What, what, what memories uh, or matches, I know that's a broad question, but what stands out from, uh, from those days for you? I mean, I, I know you had great matches with the Briscoes in particular. Um, I think what stands out to me uh, is, is that realization. Like we were uh, considered one of the better tag teams in the best tag, and in, in, in what a lot of people considered at that time, this is the best tag team division that, that had ever been created. Yep. Um, when you say the, you know, those names and you say that they're all in the same division, um, you know, that's almost like, wait, what? So uh, for us, you know, we knew that we had to, that, 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 that was the bar, right? And, and all of those teams can be tag team champions on any single given night. So um, the memory, the, you know, the memorable part was how are we going to, how are we going to get ourselves in this position? How, what are we going to do that's going to be different? How is our tag, our, our chemistry going to be on where we exemplify tag team wrestling better than Kings of Wrestling or the Briscoes, you know what I mean? Or the Young Bucks or do, I mean, these are guys that are, are, are tag team specialists. So, uh, and I think that we really, really hit our stride against the Briscoes. Um, I mean, again, to the Briscoes are, are a, a Brian Danielson situation where if you can't have a good match with the Briscoes, you should probably hang up your tag team, your, your wrestling boots. Um, they are the standard for tag team wrestling in professional wrestling, regardless of what three letters uh, are in front of your name. Agreed. So um, when, you, when we are tasked with, uh, you know, this is going to be it, boys. This is, this, this, you know, this is going to be your year. We're going to see uh, <laughs> if you guys belong here or not, and we're going to do it against, and we're going to put you up against the measuring block. Um, you know, those were, those were just amazing matches because those are amazing dudes. And uh, to be able to put that kind of magic together uh, and, and, then, and then have to top it, uh, it, it's, it's a great time. It's, and, and creatively, it's very, very stimulating because it, it, it makes you want to be at your best. You have to be at your best because if you're not, the American Wolves just had the best for a match of the night. No question about that. Uh, we want to keep it real here on uh, the R.A. Strong podcast. So let's get into this. You, um, you left. Yes, let's. Yes, let's. <laughs> <laughs> you left ROH. Um, I guess at the end of, I guess it was 2012, you went to uh, TNA at that time. It wasn't the most amicable, uh, amicable of breakups, uh, shall we say, um, as sometimes happens in the wrestling business. But you returned a few years later. So can you just talk about, I don't want to talk about like the circumstances of you leaving. I want to talk about the circumstances of you coming back and 
what that return was like after, again, what we said was not the most amicable parting of the ways? Well, I'll say this, uh, and this is all I'll say uh, on this part of it. There was just one lame where it was, where the, where the, the departure was amicable, where it, where it was not amicable. Um, and, you know, that's a whole nother for a pod, that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother podcast. But uh, I just want to remain, you know, and, and I want this to be absolutely clear because maybe I don't feel like I've been clear with this in the past. There was never any heat between me and any other members of the ROH office except for that one particular lane. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and that, so, so that we can fast forward to, to the question, which was what are the circumstances of your return? Um, you know, I, I never had any, Ill, you know, as, as far as I, I know, and I, and I was, and I had my ear to the street, right? But, and I never heard uh, any undue slander of my name come out, you know, come from Joe Koff or from Greg or from Hunter or from anybody, uh, anybody else. So uh, how it happened was I remember ROH came to Vegas in February of 2015. And uh, I had just signed a new deal with TNA and everybody was coming and I was talking, I talked to Roddy and I talked to Eddie and they were like, I was like, man, I don't know if I should come. Like, it might be weird. Like, I don't, you know, I just don't want it to be odd. Um, and, you know, I was like, bro, it's fine. It's called, it, it's all good. Don't worry about it. It's fine. So I, 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 after much trepidation, I went, right. And I show up and, you know, uh, it's going great because the first face I see is Carrie, you know, and Carrie is my guy. Carrie Silken is the guy that, you know, I used to negotiate all my contracts with Carrie Silken in the back of the ECW arena over a cigar and a handshake. And that's how, you know, the first three or four years of my, my ring of honor life went uh, negotiating with Carrie Silken. So me and Carrie are solid. So the first person I see is Carrie. He's like, yo, what are you doing here? And I'm like, ah, I shouldn't be here. Right? He's like, no, everybody's going to love this scene. Well, guess who the second person I see is? And my heart just drops. <laughs> it's Joe Koff. So now I'm like, ay, 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 ay. And Joe Koff couldn't have been nicer. He couldn't have been more welcoming to me. As a matter of fact, you know, after, you know, our, our, our initial pleasantries and, hey, Kenny, it's great to see you. Joe Koff looks at me and says, are you ready to come back home? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And I, I said, Joe, that's unbelievable. Thank you very much. But I just signed a new contract. And, uh, you know, um, but, but just the fact that you even says that, you, you have no idea how that made me feel. And then so, you know, everything was great. You know, the show was great. And, you know, so fast forward. Fast forward to August uh, of the same year. <laughs> and so there's lots of restructuring happening over at TNA and things are not going so great. And, um, you know, the whole meltdown of the BDC happens and, and, you know, things are just not really happening. So I, uh, I, they gave me the, the option to opt out of my contract and I, and I opted out of my contract. And in August, so about a week, about a week after that, uh, I go to see ROH at Samstown in, uh, in, uh, in, in Vegas. And who should I see? Joe Koff. What does Joe Koff ask me? Kenny, are you ready to come back home? You know what I said this time? Yes, Joe, I'm ready to go. <laughs> so, you know, um, regardless of how it, it was perceived, uh, I, I handled myself in a very professional, light, professional manner when I left. 
Um, otherwise, I would have never been welcomed back. It wasn't a situation where, okay, well, you know, you did us this way and we forgave you. Uh, you know, there was never any hard feelings to begin with. Right. Okay. And, well, that's good because I had never actually heard uh, the whole story before. Not, not from you anyway. Yeah. Well, there's a whole bunch that's not that, that, that you know, if we, if we want to get into that, we can get into that. But, uh, no, no. Of, no. Just for the sake of not having to uh, flame anybody on Twitter as soon as this uh, as soon as this podcast drops, I just you know yes. might as well just keep it keep it real low key. Yes, and I think that person has probably said uh, stated his uh, side of the story as well uh, many times. So uh, obviously, people know who we're talking about. So you can you can search out his own uh, podcasts and, and such if you want to hear the other the other side of it. Just just you know in the well, interest of hear a bunch of lies and a bunch of BS you could, but <laughs> that's right. We got the, we got the real story here on the ROH strong podcast today. Yeah. I mean, some of it, <laughs> some of it, you know, I mean, it, it, it goes deep, right. And that's, and that's, and, and this is all I'll say about it. Right. That's the reason why um, what he says is, is it sounds so appealing because he knows how to mix facts with bull. So he knows how to seamlessly weave, you know, okay, these are the facts of the situation. These people were here, but then the rest of it's nonsense. Like, so uh, again, you know, all of it, uh, you know, the, the, all of it really boils down to is that I was welcomed back and he never was and never Absolutely. will be. And so that should say something. And you know what, this is, now that I'm thinking about it, this is silly that we're like dancing. It was, it's Jim Cornette, obviously. <laughs> right. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah, there's no reason we can't say his name. It's yes, it was Jim Cornette. So, and and uh, I've I know Jim to some extent. I've I've always gotten along with him, um, but I know a lot of people. You know, he's burned a lot of bridges and not, doesn't get along with everybody. So it is what it is. Let's talk about though your your singles career. You came back to ROH. Um, you got in in some factions, the Cabinet, the Rebellion. Um, but I feel like so your singles career really takes off. And I think it was maybe 2017 years all run together at this point, but you win the world television championship for the first time you beat Kushida. Did you kind of see that at that point as a validation, uh, all the years you put in all the hard work that you finally get this, this run with a singles championship and beat a guy like Kushida to get it. Well, those, those, that, those, that's the validation, right? It, parts one and parts two, like, after all this time, you know, I'm a sing, uh, tag guy and I mean, you know, all these factions and, you know, people are saying, okay, you know, he could be world champion. He could be this, he could be that, but, but it's always, you know, you're seeing me in spurts and then being able to, uh, you know, Kushida was then is now um, recognized as anytime he steps in the ring, he, he, he has the potential to, you know, be one of the greatest in the world at that, you know, he, he is that insane at his craft. So every, every Kushida match is, is memorable. Every one is worth watching. So um, at that point for them to be like, okay, this is what we're going to do and you're going to do it with him. Um, I felt like that was validation from, 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 for just, you know, years of hard work, years of loyal service, years of hard work, um, perfecting my craft, honing my talent. You know what I mean? Like you don't, if you stay, if you stay in the same place, you don't rise. So I just felt like that was just me uh, you know, and it's validation to myself that, hey, man, you have been doing this the right way. Uh, you are, you, you are, uh, you're, you're very valuable in this sport, you know, because as wrestlers, we can be our hardest critics sometimes. And, and sometimes we, you know, we, we tear ourselves down when it's not even necessary. So uh, all of that was just very important for me for those reasons. 
Well, I just want to say too, as, as a fan and somebody who's, you know, followed your career, I, I don't, I don't believe in the idea of like, okay, lifetime achievement awards, or this guy's been around and he's been a loyal employee. Let's give him a, a bone. I, I think, I mean, there was no question that you earned that championship, right? Like at that point, there was no question. This was not like a thank you for being a loyal employee or anything like that. It was, you're ready for, like, you're beyond ready for this. And, and uh, I think it was, you know, you really, you had showed, I think what you could do before that, but that really kind of, like we say, validated it, put it on another level. Uh, you actually got two runs with the TV title. You had a great series with Silas Young, yeah. uh, but I want to move on to the best of three series that you had against Jay Lethal, because I feel like that was another kind of high watermark uh, for your career. What was it like working a program uh, with a guy like Jay, obviously his immense talent, his stature in the company and the business, really uh, someone who's so good at what he does. Uh, do you think that was, I guess, maybe the best work of your career? There's really these past few years. Well, uh, Jay and I have been running the same circles uh, for a long time. Jay and I were actually on teamed on a six-man. Uh, it was me, Jay Lethal, and Lance Hoyt against Team Canada in final resolution pay-per-view in TNA in 2006. So up until the time that we wrestled, uh, or and then there was actually one other time where we were in a tag match. It was me, Shane, and Jay uh, against, uh, I think it was like Suzuki Goon, and that was War of the Worlds in Toronto. But before that, Jay Lethal and I had never been in the ring together. Was like, those are the two times in, in all of our years, and even working in the same companies, uh, we, we'd never been in the ring together. So uh, well, That's I, amazing I, in and of itself. Right, right. That, and, and that's kind of what we had said. Like, well, if, we're gonna, if, if, this is, if it's taking this long, we, then we're going to have to make the best of it. And um, I, I feel like that's just another, for me, that's just another situation where we're like, when Gabe Sapolsky says, okay, kid, well, we're in the Shark Tank now. You've got to sink or swim. Um, you know, you, you, it's not just a match with Jay Lethal. You, you have to now be able to cover and, and, and you know, excel in a match, a best of three series. So um, to me, I, I'm, just, I'm just always about answering the bell. Uh, in my career, I'm about betting on myself. Uh, I bet on myself in my, uh, in my, when I left Ring of Honor. Uh, I bet on myself when I came back. Um, and, and I like being in positions where, uh, even, even where people might, you know, underestimate me. And I know that that's, that was the company putting me in a position to say, okay, this, this is the franchise. So now you have an opportunity to, to, to show our fans where you stack up against the franchise. And, uh, and, and I was happy for it. I was proud. I was proud of our series of matches. And, uh, you know, I was just thankful to be able to work with Jay because Jay is a guy that, you know, he makes everybody step their game up. He is the franchise. So having those series of matches under my belt, um, you know, I think that that's just, it, it's just for me, it, it's validation that I, you know, I'm, that I'm still hungry and I'm still, you know, ready to, to take on whatever challenge, man. And I'm still up in my game and, and, you know, no, no longer, no matter how long I've been doing this, uh, it's just good to still feel like, oh man, here's another challenge. Here's another obstacle for me to, to me to show my best at. Do you feel like, I mean, it's been what, like almost 17 years or so in the business? Um, 19 you, years in November. 19. Okay. Uh, do you feel like you're better now than you've ever been? 100%. Yeah. Uh, I feel like, 
uh, I, I'm finally starting to put it all together. Um, and I feel like it, it's all starting to come unconsciously now. Um, and, and that's why, you know, when I watched that match with myself and Brian, uh, I already knew, you know, I'm already looking like, oh man, I already, I'm glad I fixed that. I'm, so stuff that I've already been aware of. Uh, and I'm just trying to still get better, you know, because we should, in this game, uh, you, you're only as good as your last couple of matches. And, you know, you always have, because, because especially now that I've been doing this 19 and, this, and the, the game and the style has changed completely. You have people that can do things that, you know, I thought that I was athletic and you have guys that, you know, <laughs> that make my brand of athleticism look very pedestrian. So um, when, when, when that's a reality, uh, then you start have to start, you know, making yourself have more of a complete game. And that's what I'm proud of myself for doing. Do you feel at all that where you are now, um, that you're still underrated in some circles? Because I would say that I think you are, and I would put you in the same class with Matt Taven, that if people watch what you guys do, and I don't just mean what you do in the ring, I mean how you carry yourselves, um, presence, promos for sure and and, and of course all the in-ring work that I still feel like people don't fully appreciate how good you are or how good Matt is do do you have a sense of that yeah I feel like that uh and to me um and it's funny because I've I've heard this before and I didn't know it came from him and I was watching Dark Side of the Ring last night and it came from Benoit so if you have to edit the Benoit thing (laughs) but uh Benoit said you know the critics going to be the critics as long as you have the respect to your peers. Right. So uh, for me, you know, being underrated, stopped being an albatross a long time ago, because, you know, I, there's been a couple of times where I've gotten, for example, one time Matt Hardy tweeted uh, that, you know, Matt, he thought I was one of the most underrated uh, wrestlers uh, in, in the business. Uh, I've gotten a phone call from Kurt Angle that he says, man, you know, if they, if they only knew what to do with you, you'd be world champion status. You're, 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 you know, you're, and this is, this is years ago when, before I'm even, you know, and I've been getting better this whole time. So uh, to, to get a phone call from Kurt Angle, to get a tweet from Matt Hardy saying, you know, this kid is on the radio. He's one of the best. You could be doing that, that, you know, those accolades, um, they stack up because, you know, who knows? I may be underrated forever, but, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, that the work hasn't been solid. So uh, as long as the people who do it well and the people who really understand it uh, can have, have a sense for, for where I belong in it, then I think that that's fine with me. Before we went on hiatus uh, due to the pandemic, you, Roosh, Dragon Lee, and Amy Rose formed La Faction in Gobernable. My first question for you regarding the faction is, are you fluent in Spanish? See. Si. <laughs> did you take Spanish in, in, in high school or something? How are you, uh, how did this come about? Uh, me encanta Latinas, pero uh, siempre, um, siempre llama, no? Now, now you, I know this is the part where you're like, huh? Uh, so, I mean, I, I came up in Florida and, uh, and, I, and, I, and I loved, you know, coming up to, I loved the Spanish culture and a lot of my friends were Spanish, man. So coming up in Florida, you got to really, uh, if, if you don't want to get hustled or if you don't, you know, you, you want to know what people are talking about, you really got to start not paying attention to Spanish. So um, that's, you know, my, that's where it kind of, uh, that's where it kind of um, started. Okay. And then, uh, 
you know, my, my, my cousins, my, one of my cousins, Panamanian, so we speak Spanish to each other. And, you know, for me, once I started really wanting to uh, go down to Mexico, like that's when I really started saying, well, if I really want to go down to Mexico and, 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 and at that point I was like, man, I could go down to Mexico and, and, and stay there for months at a time and do tours. Cause I really enjoy uh, wrestling in Mexico. I, I just really started to kind of pick up on it. And there's, there's still, there's still lots that when, when, when dragon and roof start going at, you know, at light speed, I just be like, okay, you guys want to slow down for the green. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it's, it's something that I, it's, it's something that I feel has, has added to add a little bit of depth and dimensions in my character, especially being with those guys. For sure. Well, uh, you picked it up very well. I tell you, I, I took a couple years of Spanish in high school and I think, uh, the only thing I learned was uh, Como Esta Usted. Okay. All right. Yeah. Bien. We bien. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the other question about La Faccion I wanted to ask you is, what can we expect? I mean, you guys were just getting started, right, when we had the shutdown. Uh, what can we expect once we resume running shows from you guys? Well, I think the whole – I think uh, – what the whole point was we needed to do was we needed to right the wrong of Roosh not being world champion. Uh, that, you know, Roosh had, <clears throat> Roosh is our Goldberg. He is, uh, you, we've never seen anybody be so, so dominant, so destructive, uh, so just uh, overpowering. Um, so when you, when, when you have that, uh, and especially as world champion, whatever happened with PCO and that flute that happened, we needed to right that wrong. But, um, you know, now uh, I think what we might we, we, we might just want total domination. You know, Dragon Lee is a is, is television champion. Roosh is the world champion. Uh, Roosh and I, or Roosh and, or Roosh and Dragon, or myself and Dragon could, pro- could team up and give Jay Lethal and John Gresham a run for their money. And, and I think the three of us are going to be too much for Team Lucha to handle. So uh, total domination, total uh, possession of all the world title belts. Total domination. Well, that's... Um... It's a pretty lofty goal. So at least set your goals high, I guess, right? Say shoot from the moon. If you miss, then you at least should be up there somewhere. <laughs> All right, Kenny. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. We have, we have come to the end of the uh, main portion of this podcast. We still have 10 questions, though, to do uh, after the break. Are you, uh, you up for doing 10 questions? Let's do it. All right. 10 questions with Kenny King right after this. I'm Maynard the Malt Maker. I am Mega the Bard. I'm Ander the Goliath. I'm Santi the Bard. I'm Sia the Wizard. And I'm Quinn McKay. And to see what character I'll be playing, you'll have to check out the next episode of Roleplay of Honor. Join these stars and more for Roleplay of Honor. We are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Kenny King. It is now time to play 10 questions. And it is now time for 10 questions with Kevin. Kenny, question number one. What is your favorite pro sports team? Uh, My favorite pro sports team is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now you are not from the Tampa area, are you? Or- no. Uh, how it happened was uh, I, I used to play football at the University of South Florida, and uh, we don't, we didn't. University of South Florida uh, in Tampa doesn't have a stadium, so we would play at Raymond James Stadium. And uh, a few times 
doing walkthroughs and doing seven on sevens. Uh, guys like uh, Derek Brooks, guys like Rondé Barber, Coach Edwards, they come out and they'd work with, walk with, you know, work with us on our seven on sevens. And, you know, just, just take time out of their day to, to walk through, uh, you know, and give us some of their knowledge and, you know, as OGs to young, to young players do that. So that kind of really, um, plus they were nasty as hell at this time too. So I was like, all right, well, I think I'm going to be uh, a Bucks fan for life now. Little did I know that they'd give me ulcers uh, for, you know, 15 of the, of the, of the years afterward, but you, know, you got to take the good with the bad. Okay. So you didn't just jump on the bandwagon when Brady came on board. What? No, man. I've been, are you kidding me? I, I got a, I got a Josh Freeman Jersey. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got a I got a Josh Freeman jersey. I got ulcers named Trent Dilfer in my stomach. So I know I've been I've been I've been doing this this dance with these guys for a long time. Trent Dilfer, you mean the guy who won a Super Bowl in Baltimore? That Trent Dilfer? Oh, you gonna do me like that? <laughs> you, mean, you mean Ray Lewis's ring? You mean Ed Reed's ring? Hey, Trent's got a ring. Ed Reed wasn't on that team, by the way. He, oh, he wasn't. Okay, sorry. All right. Well, that's Ray Lewis's ring. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Question number two. What's something on your bucket list? This could be wrestling or just life in general. What's something that you want to do that you haven't done yet? Uh, man, I would, I, I think that I would want to, uh, I want to be on Jeopardy. Um, I'm really good at Jeopardy. Okay. I, and, uh, and I think that I'd like to give it a shot. So, um, you, just a little side story. You have to, <clears throat> so I, every so every couple of years, I there's a period of time it was like 2013, 2014, 2015 that I'd apply. So you have to apply to take the test to be on Jeopardy. So you apply, you take the test, and then uh, if you take the test and then you do well, then there's a a scheduled test. You know, it's a regional scheduled test, and then they go in from there. So this was 2016. I know it was 2016 because I was working on WWE 2K uh, doing mocap. So it was 2016. I was there. And I'd, got, uh, I'd gotten past the first round. And I was so excited. And I remember telling the directors, like, oh, man, I have a, um, I have a take a test. You know, I'm going to take this Jeopardy test at 10.15. And, uh, you know, I've been, you know this, this is going to get me to Jeopardy, blah, 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 blah. And we were doing a shoot. And I missed the test. I, I looked up. Oh, me and the director, we both looked up. And it was like 10.32. And I was so pissed. So uh, that's as close as I ever come to being on Jeopardy, but I think I'd like to do it because I think I'd go ham. Okay. All right. Question number three, do you have a guilty pleasure? Something that you enjoy that eh, maybe you wouldn't want to admit to? Oh God, which one? Uh, <laughs> uh, PG show, Kenny, just keep that in mind. Fair, fair. Um, and you know, my son's sitting next to me too. So there, there's, oh. I keep that, keep those things in mind. Um, Guilty pleasure. Uh, I think if, if I had off the top of my head, I think world star hip hop is my guilty pleasure. Uh, I like to look at the dysfunction <laughs> and the, the, I don't know why. I, I, I used to watch Maury. Maury used, I used to be a religious Maury watcher. Uh, <laughs> that was my guilty pleasure. But I think world star hip hop is, I, I'll, I'll scam it, skim it, you know, once a day just to, to get my, my ratchet fix i guess um but yeah so i'm not too proud about that but there we have it just told everybody all right well we all we all have our guilty pleasures no there's nothing to feel ashamed of question number four if you could have a conversation with any person living or dead who would that person be uh 
I know the answer, but it's going to be tough. Um, My mom died two years ago. That's that's a tough one. So, yeah, it'd probably be her. Gotcha. Man, I wish I would have saved that question for the end. (laughs) Now I have to go back to a silly question like (laughs) number five. Do you have a celebrity crush? Uh, I heard you mention you, you have a, you're in a relationship. We all, uh, we get that, but hall passes or maybe, or, you know, a, a crush. It's just, it's an innocent thing. Is there anybody, any celebrity? Uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to flip it. Right. I'm okay. going to flip it. I'm going to say that, uh, other than myself, uh, I think Idris Elba is one of the most handsome human beings alive. <laughs> so you're saying, okay. By flipping it, you, there's people who have a celebrity crush on you. No, by flipping it, I'm just saying. Uh, so oh. I, I don't necessarily have a celebrity crush, but I, I I think Idris Elba is extremely handsome. Okay, all right, that's fair. That that well, that's gonna keep me out of trouble later too. Yeah, all, yeah, very very diplomatic answer there, Kenny. You're, yeah. you're a pro at this stuff. All right, question number six. Uh, this is a little more of a of a serious question. What's one thing that being a parent has taught you? And I'm sure it's taught you many things. Hmm. What's one thing that comes to mind? Um, that's a good question uh, because there are a million things. Uh, I want to say patience, but that's not that's not profound, right? Um, I guess. How do I want to say patience? Like patience in the fact that. Uh, you, 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 you have to be, as your kids grow older, right? And you, you, you got to kind of grow with their, with their stages. And the best thing about being a parent, one of the best things about being a parent is watching your kids uh, hit milestones and grow up and, and, and become self-reliant and, and do all, you know, and, and do all these things that they couldn't do. You know, one day they could sit, they, they, they couldn't sit up the next day they're walking. So that kind of thing. Um, so um, the patient's, to let them figure it out uh, and, 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 and have faith that what it is that you're instilling in them um, is working. And, and, that's, and that's really coming in hard on my life right now because I got two, teen- two teenagers. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you, you want to, I'm learning that, you know, uh, and, and I'm also learning that there, there's parts of my father that comes out of my mouth sometimes where I don't know where he came from. So, so I'm learning that too. Um, but I, I'm learning that, you know, that you, you, you have to kind of give your kids what you give them. And then you have to trust that they are smart enough and, 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 and adept enough. And you have to be patient enough to, to let them get it because I got good kids and they'll get it, but they're going to bump their heads and they're going to do hopefully a quarter of the stupid that I did. But, um, you know, uh, that, that's just the patience of being, okay, I, I already know this. They don't know this. They, they think they know this cause they don't, but they don't, but you know, having to be able to find 
ways that that parenting that that that's going to work for them and that didn't work for me because i think everybody uh as a parent they do that they say okay we, everybody says well i'm not going to be like my parents when you grow up and then you end up being somewhat like them but then you find things that that you say okay well i this would have definitely been better if my parents did this and so patience young my, my young padawan patience see I, I thought that was very profound actually and uh, definitely hits home as a parent myself I have one teenager and I have another one who's going to be a teenager in a couple of years. So I'm, I'm sort of in the same boat with you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Question number seven. This is much more of a uh, just lighthearted question, but you mentioned video games earlier, the, the WWE video game. What is your favorite video game? Of all time? Yeah, all time. <laughs> uh, man, there's some really, 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 really good ones. Um, I would have to say my favorite because of just uh, how much it, it invoked emotion in me and how invested I was in, in it um, as the, the first Last of Us. Uh, I, I think Metal Gear Solid 2 is probably one of the, or, 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 or here we go, right? Red Dead Redemption, the first one. Uh, it's probably one of the, like, the best games ever made as far as like, you know, totally, you know, from gameplay to, you know, story to mechanics and how enjoyable it is. Like, these are some of the greatest games ever made as far as that's concerned. But uh, my favorite, uh, because I don't know if you've ever played the first Last of Us, have you? I'm not a big video game guy. Oh, uh, yeah, well, I, I, would, I would just say that uh, my favorites are Atari, Pong, and uh, Breakout. So does that sort of, does that date me? I don't even know how you, how would, why would you even ask me this question then? I could have said Excite Bike and you'd have been like, oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> no, because I know that there are a lot of, look, this is not about me. It's about you. It's about our listeners. There's a lot of people that love video games. So, and I want to learn, I, you know, I just, that's why I ask. I'm inquisitive. Facts. The Last of Us 1 uh, has a, there's an intro that's the most gut-wrenching intro to any movie, to any entertainment piece that I've ever witnessed. Uh, and as a parent, I was torn in half and completely drawn in at the same time. Um, and that's why I, as soon as the, like the opening credits rolled, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm playing this until it's over. I'm like, I'm never getting up. So um, the second one came out and I don't think it was as good, but uh, the first one is, 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 is definitely a masterpiece. Okay. Now see to all the gamers out there listening, that will mean something to them. Yes, it doesn't mean anything to me, but it means something to them. Question number eight. Kenny, I know you're good at a lot of things. That goes without saying. What's something that you wish you were better at? Singing. Now, can uh, you sing somewhat and you wish you were better or you can't sing at all? Uh, I, I can sing somewhat, but the problem is I think that I can sing. So I know that I can't sing, but I'll pretend like I can. And uh, so, you know, my, my confidence uh, is, is greater than my talent <clears throat> in that respect. Okay. All right, question number nine. Other than My Brother and Me, what is your favorite sitcom of all time? Married with Children. Okay, it's a good one. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, the whole thing, right? Al, Al Bundy is, is everybody's favorite dad, right? But then it, when you look at the whole, when you go back as an adult and you watch, uh, you know, they're all amazing characters. And, and, it, and it is, even though it's a dysfunctional family, it's, it's a good story. It's a good uh, American story because everybody's family is dysfunctional, but they, put the, but they all stick together at the end. You better not you mess with one Bundy, 
you're going to get it up from all of them. And that, you know, at the end of the day, that's how family should be. And if anybody didn't get the My Brother and Me reference, uh, look it up on Google or mm-hmm. YouTube, right? Cool Dr. Money. <laughs> all right. Question number 10. Is a, as a veteran of reality TV dating shows, would you ever appear on the show Dating Naked if it came back? No. Too modest for that. Yeah, I, uh, I just a lot, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just a whole lot. I mean, it, I don't even really know uh, what it's about, but I can imagine right from the from the from the the title, right? Yeah, I think it's all in the title, pretty much. Yeah, um, so yeah, I don't, uh, I don't see that as being something that I would do. Well, you've got any, like you said, you've got kids now. I mean. It, Imagine the embarrassment your kids would suffer if you were on that show. Right. You know, it, it just, I, I just think it's a whole bunch, right? I wouldn't even, like, he just, my son just asked me, I wouldn't even do Naked and Afraid because, one, I'm not trying to scratch my ass on any, like, you know, you know trees or bushes or anything like that. But uh, I, I just, you know, I don't know why we have to be naked and date. <laughs> so, no, I, I, think, I think The Bachelor was as gimmicky uh, as I'm going to get. Okay. I wouldn't even go on blind date. I got asked to go on blind date a few times. Now, why would you not do that one? Because it's too gimmicky. I, I wasn't sure how, how, how that would go off, how I'd be perceived. Uh, I just wasn't. And, and, and because that was my guilty pleasure too, because it was trash TV. I used to love blind date in the fifth wheel. So I'm not going to go on something where I make fun of myself. <laughs> and then I go on the uh, threat. <laughs> All right, Kenny. Uh, that's the end of 10 questions. I, I have no other questions for you. Uh, where can we find you on social media? All of my social media is the same. It's at Kenny King PB2 at Kenny King PB2. That doesn't mean I like peanut butter. That's just pretty boy Pitbull, and they don't have a squared thing. So PB2. So that's Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok. Uh, yeah, right. I got to do this TikTok thing now. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. You know, hit me up. I'm I'm always very interactive with my fans. Uh, if you have any stories I, I always enjoy people saying hey you know do you, do you remember kenny when, when we did xyz and da, 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 and chances are i'm not going to remember but if you remember that means we had a good interaction so tell me about it it'd be cool so I, I, I always appreciate those kenny and I, and I appreciate you uh giving me so much of your time today i really enjoyed the conversation hope it wasn't uh too taxing for you nah it's all good man i'm in quarantine this is groundhog day so <laughs> <laughs> it's fine All right, man. Thanks again. And thanks to all of you out there for listening. Keep it locked on to ROHwrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. That's at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor on Facebook. For news of when and where future episodes of the ROH Strong podcast will be available. Stay safe, everyone, and let's all be ROH Strong.